Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Ho, ho, ho. Happy Zoo News, y'all. This is coming out on Christmas Eve, and uh, whether you celebrate or not, I hope you're having a wonderful time. This is our weekly Rossafari Zoo News episode, which is our weekly look at what is going on in the news as far as the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and animals is concerned. So uh, welcome to the party, friends. I'm glad to have you all here. Quick reminder that Zoo News is crowdsourced, so if you happen to see a story that you think might fit this show, go ahead and send it to me. You can email rossafaripod at gmail.com or tag me or DM me the stories on social media. I'm at rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and at rossafaripod on TikTok. So, as I've mentioned before, I'm not exactly a huge Christmas nerd, although I do enjoy the whole camaraderie of the season and getting together with family and all that good stuff. And I know that I have audience members who are all denominations and no denominations and all religions and in all parts of the world and all that good stuff. So, um... We're not going to be very Christmassy here, but I thought that this would be a fun opportunity to take the time to share some interesting facts about reindeer. Because holiday or not, hoofstock is always cool. Did you know that reindeer and caribou are in fact the same animal? In Europe, they are called reindeer, and in North America, the animals are called reindeer if they are domesticated and caribou if they are wild. Also, unlike most deer species, uh, both the male and female reindeer grow antlers. Um, this is very rare, and it gets even more interesting because antlers, unlike horns, as most of you know, do fall off and grow back each year. Now, male and female reindeer start growing their antlers at different times. Males start growing them in February and females in May. And then uh, males drop their antlers in November, while females keep their antlers all the way through the winter until their calves are born in May. As a side note, that little adorable sneeze that you just heard in the background was Lexi, my puppy. And uh, yeah, what's more, what's more uh, wintry than hearing a puppy sneeze on an animal podcast? Love you, Lex. Anyway, the point of this last story that I was telling before it got sneezed into was that um, if you look at any of the artwork of Santa's reindeer, you'll notice that they are almost always depicted with antlers, meaning they are female. Male reindeer would not have their antlers at this time. Reindeer are also really hairy, even for deer species. They are the only deer species to have hair that completely covers their nose, and it goes all the way down to the very bottom of their hooves. They actually have 
hairy hooves. That is really rare, but much like other animals that have hair on the pads of their feet, like, oh, I don't know, red pandas, um, it helps them with grip and, you know, with the ice and the snow and all of that. So so it is a very logical adaptation, but uh, but one that is rare in deer species. And now you know more about reindeer than you probably ever wanted to. You're welcome. Okay, here's an ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamers Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. All right, friends, it's time. Throw another log on the fire if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. Or maybe if you're in Australia, throw another shrimp on the bobby, mate. No! Sorry, Ren. Okay, and settle in because it is time for Zoo News. One, two, three, four. Ow, there's a funky monkey. Treat kangaroo. Bought a bint around. It's Zoo News, yeah. All right, y'all, we're going to start off this week with one of those things that I I always feel the need to put in here, but also kind of get annoyed at. So um, bear with me. But uh, alwayspets.com has released its annual rating of the top 50 zoos, which include safari parks in the United States. I'm not going to go through all 50 with you here, but I will go through the top 10 or so and and point out some others uh, that I thought were interesting placements. I need to start off by saying a couple of caveats here. First of all, um, these lists come out every year, and if you follow zoos, you know that zoos don't change that much year to year. Uh, A collection might change slightly, or every once in a while, a big new exhibit will open up that can greatly change how a zoo is viewed. But um, most of those take a couple years to build, and it's it's kind of a slow build to greatness for the various facilities. So um, in order to get clicks, these lists need to change a lot from year to year. So uh, I sometimes question, you know, the veracity and the effort put into to these lists, because honestly, they should be pretty static, but they're not. The other thing I want to point out here is that this is not a list made by experts, but merely by compiling TripAdvisor reviews, which has a couple of problems. Um, First of all, people are more likely to complain than to praise. Second of all, uh, anti-captivity people love to go and give bad reviews about uh, the more famous zoos. So some that are really famous are going to be docked just by being known. But that being said, they're fun to look at. So uh, here we go. According to alwayspets.com, and you can go there for the full listing, the number one zoo in the nation is the St. Louis Zoo in St. Louis, Missouri. 
Number two is the Henry Dorley Zoo and Aquarium in Omaha, Nebraska. And I, I just have to stop here for a second to say that I really do love both of those facilities like a lot. Uh, number three is one that I have not made it to yet, but plan to go to in February of this year. The Arizona Sonora Desert Museum in Tucson, Arizona. Number four is Safari West, which is located in Santa Rosa, California. Number five is the Out of Africa Wildlife Park in Camp Verde, Arizona, where I also intend to get to this February. You may have figured this out, but I'm going to be gigging in uh, Arizona this February. Uh, yeah, so haven't been there yet. But pretty excited to, to go back. Number six, our good friends at the Brevard Zoo in Melbourne, Florida. Did a whole episode with them and everything. I love it. Number seven is the Wilds in Cumberland, Ohio. This is the safari park that is run by the Columbus Zoo, and it is really amazing there. Number eight is the Living Desert Zoo and Gardens in Palm Springs, California. I love the Living Desert, one of the coolest facilities I have ever been to. Number nine is Cheyenne Mountain Zoo in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Probably the top facility on my list that I haven't made it to yet, and I want to. And number 10 is the San Diego Zoo in San Diego, California. Even though I need to point out that all of the pictures that they have listed there um, and even the description from what I'm reading uh, se seems to be about the safari park which is, is located not in San Diego and is not actually the San Diego Zoo, but is much like the Wilds and the Columbus Zoo, a different facility, but is amazing. So I'm happy with either of those being there, even though the, uh, the article seems confused. Now, if you would like to take a look at all 50, you can go to allpets.com. But I do want to point out a couple other friends of the pod and where they are living on this list. Uh, at number 11 is the Cincinnati Zoo. Number 13 is the Memphis Zoo. There's a run starting at 18 of zoos that are absolutely incredible, and I'm annoyed that they are this low, which is Zoo Miami at 18, Fort Worth Zoo at 19, Brookfield Zoo at 20, the Bronx Zoo at 21, Woodland Park Zoo at 22, and Smithsonian's National Zoo at 23, all of which seem way too low to me. Uh, my local Philadelphia Zoo comes in at number 27. 33 is the Indianapolis Zoo. And then the thing that makes me just lose my mind with this entire list, and this was all compiled before the AZA controversy, y'all, they put Columbus at 39. They are saying there are 38 other zoos in this country better than the Columbus Zoo. No. And I love so many of these zoos, but no. So I, I, I heartily disagree with a lot of what this article has to say, but also it, it's worth reporting on. This stuff matters and people look this stuff up. So um, now you know some of it and can look up the rest uh, online, I guess. But the Columbus Zoo is awesome. Our friends at the Brevard Zoo in Melbourne, Florida, have gotten some props from the AZA for improving their hoofstock management. Basically, the story here is that for a long time, the Brevard Zoo had approached their hoof stock by simply housing them in one of three large yards without any shifting between the yards. And um, they also didn't do a whole lot of interactive keeping with them. 
There was a minimal amount of training, and keepers were basically hands-off with the animals. The animals knew what to expect and when to expect it, and honestly, uh, they started to realize that because of that, even a slight deviation from their norm could cause serious stress for the hoofstock at the zoo. With plans for some serious construction being done at the zoo in the area near the hoofstock, they realized that this had to change, and so the Brevard Zoo implemented a plan of very serious positive reinforcement training, which we love to talk about on this podcast, as y'all know, to try to improve the lives of their hoofstock and to improve their relationships with their keepers. The training started with basic, simple targeting tasks and weighing behaviors, but quickly advanced to more things like presenting feet for hoof trims, uh, something that the giraffe and zebras are absolutely awesome at. The oryx are well on their way towards mastering. And um, because it's going so well, the, uh, the team at the zoo is actually planning on expanding this program to every ungulate in the zoo. The hoofstock were quick to learn to trust their caretakers and became very accepting of changes in their routine, something that had not been seen before. In fact, the animals even started shifting between yards, giving them more variety in their lives and also different opportunities to explore and exercise in different ways. One of the cool bonuses that was not initially considered when this whole procedure started was that uh, a zebra stallion was able to be brought to the zoo. Initially, a herd of mares arrived at the zoo, and it was considered an impossibility to bring a stallion in because males can only cohabitate with females for short periods of time, which would have been an impossibility since the zebras could not shift yards. Now that they are trained to do so, a stallion was able to be brought in, and now the Brevard Zoo can be part of the Zebra SSP. Yay! I love this story for a lot of reasons, including because I'm a huge fan of training, but also just because it it illustrates something that I love about zoos and talk about on here a lot, which is that there's so much going on behind the scenes that you're just not aware of. Since this program has started, not only are the lives of the animals enriched, but some of those construction projects that I mentioned have in fact been put into place, and the animals are showing no additional signs of stress because they're no longer freaked out by changes to their routine. Congrats to everyone involved in this project. Next, I have a quick update for you about not a zoo news story, but a regular episode story. Beardsley Zoo has announced that the anteater baby who you got to hear about on a recent episode is a female. You may remember from the episode that it's really hard to sex a anteater pup, and so it took a while to figure this out. Um, but they now know that she is a female. And this is really, really cool because the population in giant anteaters in captivity is skewed heavily towards males. So this is a very important new member of the species that will hopefully contribute to the breeding population for a long time. Woodland Park Zoo recently announced the passing of their oldest orangutan, Milati, who was 50 years old. She also had a favorite toy, a bucket and sponge that she would use to, quote, help her keepers scrub. The whole thing was rather adorable. Sadly, Milati was recently discovered to have been suffering from a possibly cancerous growth of the uterus and left ovary, and as such needed life-saving surgery. She was not able to survive the surgery, however. 
The average orangutan lifespan is 35 to 40 years, though some have been known to make it as long as 60 years in captivity. Living most of her life at Woodland Park Zoo, Malati had an incredible life and was so lucky to have such an amazing team working to save her at the end. Our condolences to everyone at Woodland Park Zoo. On a happier note, Zoo Tampa announced last week that they have released Balo the manatee back into the waters at Apollo Beach. Balo had been under treatment at the manatee center there for several months because of red tide toxicity, one of the main problems causing the unusual mortality issues going on with manatees right now. Not only has Balo fully recovered to the point that she was able to be released, but she is the 12th manatee released back into the wild this year from Zoo Tampa. Nice work, y'all. And last but not least for Zoo News this week, there is a bit of controversy surrounding the Wildlife Conservation Society in India. Now, you may recognize Wildlife Conservation Society, or WCS, because that is the organization that, along with doing a ton of cool in-situ conservation work all around the world, also runs the New York zoos, including Bronx Zoo, Prospect Park Zoo, New York Aquarium, all those cool places. But now, there may be some serious drama unfolding in their organization in India. An Instagram account at Women of the Wild India, which exists to share the untold stories of women working for science and nature in India, hoping to inspire the next generation of Women of the Wild, has been compiling the stories of women who have worked at, studied, volunteered at, or interned with the organization in India. And uh, the tales are pretty scary. Multiple tales of abuse are being shared, and some people even claiming that they have decided to leave conservation entirely or even dealt with suicidal thoughts because of how they were treated at WCS India have been coming out. So far, the only official response has been a lot of the comments being reported as false or lies, although there is no evidence that that is the case. As of yet, I have not seen a response from WCS India, and I have also not seen a response from the WCS, which is headquartered in New York. Not only am I going to keep my eyes on this, but I'm going to be reaching out to WCS to see exactly what is going on. What kind of oversight do they have with WCS India? Are they truly part of the WCS, or is it something where they just use the name? I don't really know, but I intend to find out. Um, The WCS is an amazing conservation organization and run incredible zoos in New York. You may remember that Ron McGill in the first episode of this season stated that he considers the WCS the gold standard of zoo-based conservation. That said, we all know that bad people can get into good organizations. And so I'm going to be keeping my eyes on this and sharing with you what I find and what is both publicly and privately disclosed to the best of my ability. I love the WCS, and I am very confident that if this is a real problem, as it looks like it is, that they will step up and do the right thing. But I promise you, friends, I will be doing everything in my power to make sure that is the case and will not sugarcoat it for you. And now here's an awkward transition of a silly song out of a really, really horrible story. Sorry, I didn't plan that very well. Stereotypical animal podcast theme song. Here to 
bring you to Conservation News. Audubon's Christmas bird count is currently live and is running through January 5th, 2022. This is Audubon's 122nd Christmas bird count, and this is a wonderful example of community science. This is an early winter bird census where thousands of volunteers across the U.S., Canada, and many countries in the Western Hemisphere go out over a 24-hour period on one calendar day to count birds. This is a serious census, and you can't just go out and gather your own data willy-nilly and try to send it to the Audubon Society, but you can visit audubon.org for more information on how to collect the information properly. And if you are a rookie birder who is interested in helping out for the first time, they will actually pair you with a veteran who can make you a better birder and also help you with your census. Pretty cool. Over the decades, the Christmas bird count data have been used in hundreds of analyses, peer-reviewed publications, and government report. This is an awesome way to be involved in citizen science, conservation, and get outside and go for a walk in the winter. And hey, maybe you'll even learn some cool stuff about birds and get into birding as a hobby. I highly recommend going to audubon.org to learn more about how you can participate in the Christmas bird count. A drought currently affecting Kenya is having a severe impact on the wildlife there. Six giraffe were recently found dead, having died because of dehydration and hunger because of the drought. In fact, the dry conditions in Kenya are so severe that wild animals are dying in the hundreds and farmers are reporting losses of up to 70% of their livestock. If something isn't done to rectify this situation soon, there is going to be an entire economy lost in Kenya, as well as untold number of endangered animals. The craziest thing about this to me is that it just doesn't seem to be getting international attention. It's not really making waves at all. Uh, There's one picture of the six giraffes that I mentioned uh, that died and then were moved away from the water so as to not contaminate it. That has gone slightly viral in the conservation community, but um, that's, that's about it. Even when you Google Kenya Drought 2021, uh, there isn't a whole lot of information out there. On a side note, if you do decide to Google it, uh, gird your loins, friends. There are a lot of really horrible photos of dead animals and human suffering. Um, it is not for the faint of heart, uh, just, just as a fair heads up. Experts in the area do believe that this drought is being caused by severe climate change, uh, but There just doesn't seem to be a whole lot being done about it. I wish I had some cool story or some way that you can help. But um, I just wanted to make you aware of it because at this point, I think we need to raise awareness. So if you're listening to this and you know people who don't know about this drought, maybe let them know what's going on. I know the world's a crazy, scary place right now, but but this one's important, y'all. This one really matters. In happier news, the Kuno National Park in India is currently preparing to receive 13 African cheetahs in what is being described as the world's largest intercontinental animal translocation. Cheetahs used to live in the wild in India, but 69 years ago, the last surviving cheetah in India was hunted down. Thus, this project is a hugely important reintroduction project. 
While the national park should provide protection to the cheetahs against humans, there is another scary thing at the park. Leopards. And as such, all 13 cheetahs have been carefully selected, 10 from South Africa and 3 from Namibia, because they have survived with leopards in the past. Hopefully that cohabitation will work out again here, and a cheetah population can begin to regrow in the wilds of India. And that brings us to... In other I'm going to start off our other news segment with a couple of media recommendations for once you are completely caught up on the Raw Safari podcast. And only once you are completely caught up on the Raw Safari podcast, right? Right? Yes? Yes. First of all, if you haven't checked out the podcast Radio Lab, I definitely think you should. It's, it's a good podcast, and it deals with a lot of cool science-y things at times. There are two episodes in particular that I wanted to tell you about, one of which is called Of Bombs and Butterflies, which deals with a really interesting conservation story that happens on a military base in the United States. Hence the bombs part. I'm guessing you can figure out what kind of animal they're conserving because the other part was butterflies. But um, if not, it's, it's, it's butterflies. And uh, they also more recently put out an episode called Animal Minds, which deals with animal minds. I'm, I, I'm assuming you guys can figure all of this out. My Rossifarians are very smart people, and I know this. But, you know, just in case. Also, there is a series on Netflix right now called Animal. And Animal is a series of documentaries that is really cool. Uh, each one of them is hosted by a celebrity who actually seems interested and, and does a good job. Um, there are four episodes out right now. A second season has been ordered. Uh, the first two episodes deal with big cats, and that one's hosted by Rashida Jones. And the second is Dogs, both wild and domestic, it looks at, um, hosted by Brian Cranston. It's awesome. You get to hear Heisenberg talk about puppies. I haven't made it to the third or fourth episode yet, but um, I'm going to. I'm just... I'm busy, y'all. Got to make a lot of podcasts, you know? But I will tell you that the first two episodes are incredible and feature some really amazing videography and a lot of really cool information. I highly recommend you check it out. Also, my mom's totally the person who told me about this and told me that I should tell y'all about it and then got a little annoyed when I told her I'd have to vet it first. But I got to look out for my audience. Still, Mama Rossi was right. It's a really cool show. I highly recommend you check it out. A recent study about bees done by Hamish Symington, a Ph.D. student at Cambridge University, discovered that bees will literally drop out of the air if the lights go out. The study shows, well, exactly what I just described. Um, there are bees flying around in an indoor plastic enclosure, and when the lights are flipped off, they literally all fall to the ground. It appears like they do this safely, like they land okay, and it's not like they're dying off because of it. But um, we never knew bees did this, and we don't really know why bees do this. So uh, there's a lot of speculation going on right now and a lot of studies to be done, and it's all really fascinating. Bees are such cool animals. Let's, let's not have them all disappear, please. And that brings us to a very appropriate song... Animal, animal, animal holidays. 
guys. So I'm just going to say it. If you are looking to help a species or an animal or whatever get their own day, y'all should really be looking at the last two weeks of the year. Because as you may remember, I told you that last week there were no animal holidays, at least not according to Peppermint Narwhal's calendar, which as far as I'm concerned is is law, basically. And then um, this week, there's there's really not much either. So uh, quick reminder, this is coming out on uh, Friday the 24th, which is Christmas Eve for those who celebrate. And uh, the next day is Saturday the 25th, which is Christmas. And then on Sunday the 26th, it is both Boxing Day and the beginning of Kwanzaa. Then we get to two actual animal holidays. Yay! Monday the 27th is Visit the Zoo Day. Because why wouldn't everyone visit the zoo on a random Monday in December? Cool. And Tuesday, the 28th, is the anniversary of the U.S. Endangered Species Act. And that is it for your animal holidays for this week. Next time that we talk about this, we will be looking at the first animal holidays of 2022. Pretty exciting, y'all. Even if most of us are still processing March of 2020. And there you have it, folks. It won't be your last Zoo News of the Year because the next one will be out on New Year's Eve, but we're getting close. Thanks for sticking with me for all of this calendar year. I super appreciate y'all. And remember, as I've said before, you can send me stories, tag me in them, DM them, email them, whatever. And uh, if you do, I will say your name at the end of the episode, like this. M.M. I would like to thank the following people for sending me stories and helping me with this week's episode. Gunjan Menon, Dylan Hoy, Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Katie Propp, Laura Shank, and Marianne Rossi. Also, thanks to Laura Shank for being my Red Panda level patron. And remember that you can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash rossafari or by sending me a Venmo at rossafari. Thanks for supporting the pod, either financially or simply by listening, y'all. I really appreciate you so much. And remember, friends, the words, newsy credits backwards, are Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.